Once upon a time. What comes next? Once upon a time. Children, I wonder if you can help me here, please. Uh, What do you need, what do we need for a good fairy tale? Once upon a time. Then what do we need next to make a good fairy tale? We're going to need some characters. We're going to need a setting. We're going to need a plot. Perhaps a little bit of magic thrown in. Once upon a time. I want to see if we can get some hands up. I'm going to need to come around so that I can hear what you're saying. And I'll bring some of my prizes for... Oh, look at their hands go up. (laughs) Mikey was first. Okay, Mikey, what do we need for a good fairy tale? Okay, once upon a time there was a bunny rabbit. So we've got a bunny rabbit uh, as a character here. Yep, what else can we have in? A happy ending. Once upon a time there was a bunny rabbit and a happy ending. Yeah, we might add a couple more things. God has risen. That would make for a great fairy tale. Even true one. Yes, what would be in a good fairy tale? Maybe a character or someone special. A pot. With a princess. A princess with a pot. That, that, that'd be all. So once upon a time there was a bunny rabbit and then along came a princess who had a pot but she fell into the pot while it was boiling on... Oh, it's a dark and stormy night. We've got a twist in the fairy tale now. It's not all rainbows and princesses, but we've got a dark and stormy night. What else is in the fairy tale, Reuben? Jesus is in the fairy tale. So in the midst of the dark and stormy night, Jesus rides into the scene. He's riding on... He's riding on a donkey. And what else can you tell me about the donkey? And the donkey is riding on Mickey Mouse. This is a fantastical fairy tale. Glad I've got an adjudicator, Reuben, who's keeping an eye on me. Okay, let's get two more things for this fairy tale. Then Mickey Mouse fell into a hole. We've got a double twist. So Mickey Mouse is in the hole while Jesus, the hero on the donkey, is coming to rescue the princess. Last one for you, Jesse. Last twist in this fairy tale. Or, or, or is it going to all be resolved? And he saves Mickey Mouse and they all lived... Okay, you all know how fairy tales go, don't you? They all begin once upon a time and then we've got these characters, we've got these plots, we've got these settings, we've got a bit of a twist, we've got a hero... There's the amazing part, and they all lived happily ever after. Well, the true story of Easter is like a fairy tale. The best ever fairy tale. We've got a great moment of danger. We've got sin and death break into the world so that God's people that he made are trapped There's no hope for God's people in the world because of sin and death. But we've got the hero. We've got Jesus who comes into the world. He does actually ride on a donkey, but no Mickey Mouse. Jesus comes as the hero. Everything about Jesus looks like he can defeat sin and death. Jesus looks like he's the one who can drag people up out of a hole. They're the one who can give hope, but there's a twist. What happens to Jesus? He ends up arrested, betrayed crucified, dead. Come down from the cross if you can save yourself. Buried. 
And then the amazing part, he's resurrected. The tomb is empty, Jesus is risen, Jesus is alive and they all lived happily ever after. Except, with Easter, that's not the end of the story. In, say, the book of Acts, in the rest of the New Testament, we see that the truths of Easter ripple out to the ends of the earth. It's not a fairy tale, a once upon a time, plot, character, twist, amazing part and they all live happily ever after and that's the end of the story but we see that the truths of Easter ripple out to the ends of the earth and across all of time and what we see in chapter 10 today while we only read a little part of it this is here to help us to see that God's salvation plans that ripple out to the ends of the earth are for all kinds of people. Now please look with me at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is here so it's very clear for Jesus' followers that the gospel of Jesus goes to all kinds of people. It's not just limited to Jewish people, not just limited to God's Old Testament Israelite people. The gospel of Jesus goes to all kinds of people. Now boys and girls, you can see on page 2 of your sheet there, Adults, you're going to need to look in your Bibles. We're going to look at some verses here and uh, boys and girls, underline the words. Adults, if you've got your own Bible, you can underline here. If you've got a church one, uh, just do it mentally. Uh, Underline the words in these verses here in the four columns that show God's salvation plans are for all kinds of people. Okay, you got your pencils ready? Acts chapter 10, verse 34... Have a look for the words here that show God's salvation plans are for all kinds of people. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Who's underlined some words there? Which ones did you underline? Okay, great one. God does not show favouritism. There's some other words worth underlining in that one as well. What did you get, Alyssa? Every nation. Fantastic. We're seeing that it's not limited to one nation or one ethnic group or one race, but God does not show favouritism. It goes to every nation of those who fear Him and does what is right. Now, let's have a look at chapter 10, verse 43. Chapter 10, verse 43. Boys and girls, the second column there. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What have you underlined there to show that God's salvation is for all kinds of people? Someone who hasn't got one. Yep, yes, there we go. Everyone who believes in him. Great job, here it comes. Open your mouth. No, catch it in your hands. I don't want to be responsible for knocking any teeth out. Oh, you're choking. Okay, column number four, chapter 10, verse 45. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. What are we going to underline this time? Even on the Gentiles. Gentiles means non-Jews. Gentiles are those who belong to the nations. Gentiles is everyone except for the Jews. Chapter 11, verse 18... Chapter 11, verse 18, 
When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. What have you underlined? Even the Gentiles. Okay, these words, these verses show God's salvation plans are for all kinds of people. The truths of Easter ripple out for all peoples. Now, this is not what Peter expects. Peter's Jewish. He is somebody who is uh, ceremonially clean. He take, pays careful attention to God's Old Testament laws and God's ceremonial laws and the sacrificial system that God had given through the temple so that God's Old Testament people could understand how to relate to God, that they could know about sin and that God had given these animal sacrifices as a sign of forgiveness. Now, Peter knew all that kind of stuff and he's following all kind of that stuff and he, he understands and believes and thinks that that is how God operates with his people and only those people who are included within that limited understanding of God are caught up in God's plans of salvation until God sends him a vision. Uh, Peter's in a hungry trance. I'm going to read in verse 9, chapter 10, verse 9. Boys and girls, listen out for what Peter sees in this vision so you can draw it on the sheet on your next page. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Verse 12, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Now, boys and girls, you can be drawing some of those things there on your page of, of what they see, of what Peter sees. Now, he's seeing, if we know our Old Testament, if we know our Old Testament law, Peter's seeing all kinds of animals that are unclean, the kind of animals that Jewish people were not to eat the kind of animals that they weren't even to go anywhere near, they weren't to have anything to do with them and Peter sees them, they're now descending to him on this sheet. Verse 13, we read on, Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, Peter replied, Surely not, Lord. So Peter recognises that it's Jesus, that it's God who's speaking to him, Peter, get up and eat these unclean animals. Eat, you're hungry, eat. Now he's, in, he's having a dream about this. Now, this is not the first time that uh, Peter balks at something that Jesus tells him to do. Peter the fisherman, remember he'd been out fishing all night and he'd caught no fish and when Jesus appeared to them, he said to Peter and the rest of the fishermen, go out, let your nets down on the other side. And Peter's going, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> what do you know about fishing? I'm a fisherman, I've been fishing all night, I've caught nothing. Jesus says, go out and fish. No, Jesus. That's Peter. Not long after, Jesus was telling Peter and the rest of his disciples that, that the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ, he would suffer, he would be betrayed, he would suffer, he would die and after three days rise again. Remember what Peter did? Took Jesus aside and rebuked him. What do you think you're talking about, Jesus? The night before Jesus died... Jesus said to Peter, you will deny me three times. Peter says, no way. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking to. 
I will follow you all the way to death. In this vision, Peter sees these unclean animals coming down and Jesus says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord, what are you talking about? Verse 14, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, what's going on here with this vision? What's this all about? Is this just kind of an endorsement of all-you-can-eat banquets? Well, Peter doesn't quite get it all yet until he meets Cornelius. At the same time, Jesus has been preparing, preparing this Gentile man, a centurion, a good man, but not a Jew, not a, not a clean man, not someone who should be rubbing shoulders with Peter, but Jesus has been preparing him to meet with Peter. And as we read on in verses 24 and following, we're not going to read them now, but I invite you to look them up uh, later. We see that as Peter meets Cornelius, Peter's understanding changes him from a man of his culture and his religion to being a man of Jesus' kingdom. He is caught up onto Jesus' mission. So that in verse 34, Peter began to speak, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Do you remember what the key verse of Acts is? What's the key verse of Acts? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It's the key verse for understanding the book of Acts, where Jesus says to his apostles, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, to all Judea, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when Peter was hearing that, Peter was hearing something like this, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to all Judea, to Samaria, to all the Jews, to the end of the earth. As Peter was hearing it, he's thinking, yes, the gospel about Jesus is going to go to the ends of the earth, but only to Jewish people, only to people who had a heritage back in God's Old Testament people. But now that he's had this dream, now that he's had this meeting with Cornelius, he's come to this understanding that Jesus' mission is bigger than he thought. The truths of Easter ripple and build to a wave that washes over the whole world and all peoples. This is better than the best fairy tale. Now, one of the things that I think is very interesting about the book of Acts is that there's this focus on the mission, the focus on the movement of Jesus' gospel going out and the focus on Jesus' disciples making sense of that and how and when and where it will go out. I think it's quite interesting that not much of the book of Acts, if any really, spends any time on trying to prove that the tomb was empty or that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, wouldn't you think that as, the, as, as, as Jesus has died and been resurrected and ascended into heaven and now the gospel is moving out in the, in the weeks and the months and the years after, why are they not talking much about the evidence for Jesus' resurrection? 
The only reason I can think of is because it was such an unmistakable fact for them. They knew the eyewitnesses. It it, it definitely happened. There was an empty tomb. People saw Jesus' resurrected body. They saw him go into heaven. It was an unmistakable fact for them. And so what was exciting for them, what they needed to talk about, what they needed to make sense about, was the implications of that resurrection. For them, it was more unbelievable that the gospel now goes to all kinds of people that Jesus might have been resurrected from the dead. Uh, This was so unbelievable for them, but such a significant thing for them to understand that Peter recounts his vision and this experience uh, a second time in chapter 11 and then a third time in chapter 15. Jesus' mission is bigger than Peter thought. It extends to the ends of the earth and all kinds of people. Now this weekend I've been tuning in and out of the National Band Championships that are going on down in uh, Launceston in Tasmania this weekend. Uh, The brass band that I play in, uh, they're down there competing uh, this weekend. I did kind of look into whether I could do a pulpit swap with the minister in Launceston and be in Launceston competing uh, while he was up here preaching and I could preach in his church for the weekend, maybe one other Easter. Uh, I love brass bands and I love brass band instruments. I like the sound that they make, Um, I like the music, I like being in a band uh, with lots of different people. The band that I play in has an an 11-year-old and an over 80-year-old. It's a lot of great things, but one of the things I love about brass bands is, is about brass instruments is how they work. It's really, really cool. Now, I've got some helpers who are going to come up on stage here with just a few of the brass instruments that uh, live in our house. And we're going to get a bit of demonstration about how they work. Now, the way that a brass instrument works is that you blow a stream of air from your lips into a mouthpiece. It's fairly unimpressive, really. Will, can you... I'll take cover, I'll move those so you don't blow onto them. Can you, can you show us what you do to blow a, a sound? No, no instrument. What, the, what's the stream of air that you use to blow on it? Okay, so, so, so that's it. It's pretty unimpressive, isn't it? How could you be excited about that kind of sound? How could you be excited about 30 people sitting in a circle? <laughs> okay, so, but if you take your mouthpiece, which you've got the biggest one there, okay, and, and blow into your mouthpiece, and what happens now? Can you imagine a church band made up of that? You can imagine going to the national championships. It'd make it easier to get to Tasmania if all you had to take was your mouthpiece. Okay, yet when you blow that stream of air into the mouthpiece and then into the instrument and out of one of the biggest bells that you can get in the band, in a concert hall or even in a school hall, listen to what happens to that sound. Try and imagine if there's anywhere in this room that that sound is not going to. Can you give us a bigger one? Okay, hand up if you couldn't hear that. Okay, what starts off as a... Through the instrument, it becomes a big sound that fills the whole hall. Tomorrow is going to be the tuba solo division at the Albert Hall in Launceston. And every one of those tuba players, there will not be a corner of that room that that sound doesn't fill. Now, we all want to know what your lowest note is. Can you give us your lowest note? You can work down to it, as long as you don't take five minutes. 
Well done. Jesus' gospel is like the stream of air that goes into the mouthpiece. We are God's instruments. We take the wind of Jesus' gospel and that gospel goes out to the ears of all peoples. God enables us to reach out to all peoples. Now, there are different kind of instruments, you can see, and they make different sounds, they play different parts in the band, different instruments are used in different settings, in different rooms, for different styles of meetings, different styles of music. We're each different, but each enabled by God in different ways so that the gospel of Jesus reaches out and is heard by all peoples. Can you fill in the tubing of your instrument, of who you are, of who God has made you to be, so that His gospel might be heard uh, by all peoples? What are we going to look like, enabled by God in different ways, so the gospel of Jesus reaches out? So it's heard by all people, so it's heard by school friends, heard by office workers, heard by part-time workers, heard by stay-at-home mums, heard by retirees, heard by public servants, heard by defence personnel, heard by students, heard by refugees, atheists and agnostics. What instruments is God using so that the gospel goes to Jews and Muslims and Hindus, to the Greens and the Hansonites, to the Conservatives, to the Progressives, to Communists, Socialists, Fundamentalists, Post-Truthers, the Koreans, the Chinese, the Arabs, the Indians, to every Indigenous group of people in the world. Jesus' Gospel is blown out to every ear through us, His instruments, so that all people might hear, so that every nation might fear Him and do what is right. 